All right, my friends, here we are. This is Chance Garten of the Interverse Podcast. Welcome, man. Happy 2023. Almost to the Lunar New Year, too, so I could say Happy New Year in a couple different ways soon. But uh, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Are we almost there? Did we? I think we crossed the new moon. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, maybe it's a little earlier than I thought. I thought it was a uh, lunar, like maybe the official Chinese New Year is on uh, the 22nd, 23rd. We're here on January 21st, so it's coming up soon. Already not, talking already about here. calendars and cycles. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea of a lunar New Year hadn't really ever crossed my mind. And this year, when the new moon, assuming that it happened or as we we're approaching it, maybe mm. it was like right at that waning crescent. But I really felt more of a fresh and like rolled over to the next cycle type of vibe nice. around, you know, the last couple, I don't know, maybe like five or so days ago, I started to really feel like, okay, now it feels like a new year. Interesting. And then all yeah. the lunar new year thing that makes kind of more sense in some ways. I like how the ancients did things where they weren't working on just one calendar. They had the solar calendar. They had a lunar calendar. They had a 360 day calendar, you know, some cultures like Egypt, as far as I know, were running multiple calendars concurrently, which, yeah, that kind of makes sense, you know, for d depending on what it is you're trying to track. The fun about calendars is that they're completely, they're completely mind boggling. <laughs> yeah, <say laughs> that, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I really like the quote, I think Dylan said this, one of his books, uh, Dylan Sicosio that the one thing that the priest class has been consistent at over the ages is being wrong about, <laughs> about cycles of time. And so while I can't verify this, but I, I have a, I have a suspicion that the reason why calendars are so tricky is because maybe the luminaries that we're using as a timepiece don't actually follow a hard and fast same every time type of rule. Mm. You know, when you look at the rest of nature and how there's like some wiggle, they, you know, all porcupines look like a porcupine, but they all have a little bit of difference to them. They're the same, but different. <laughs> and so I wonder if like, maybe there's a, a bit of a range in like, what if the solar year is 365.25 days sometimes and oh, other man. times it's 365 days even and other, like, I don't know what the range would be. I'm not up there, you know, with a telescope and measuring the exact degree in arc seconds of where everything is at. but. To me, it would make a lot of sense if part of the reason why it's always so confused and muddled is because, and like, it worked for a while and now it doesn't, maybe, you know, again, this is another, <laughs> another Dylan quote, but he's just full of good stuff. Hmm. It's almost as if God made everything slightly off from exact and even in whole numbers so that we couldn't ever like put our stamp of, we figured it out with right, our mathematician right. hats on, like that we understand the creator or the creation perfectly. And that's great because I, for one, am all about embracing the mystery, the multiplicity, the potentials, right? Yeah, right on, man. That's a really cool place to uh, begin. And, you know, it's kind of funny that we started on calendars because my ritual first question for first time guests, I'm happy to have you on, man. When did you start to speak your truth? Wow, that's a good question. It's like, a, it's a relative thing. I mean, not that truth is relative, but there are levels of it. <laughs> the truth I was speaking, you know, when I first started the show, and that might not have even been really the motivation for the show. What is truth, right? What, what was I thinking about when I first started? 
I think more about uh, how I could help people see their own potential, see their own divinity, experience some deeper levels of reality, wider levels of experience where there's magic and <laughs> it's hard to say. And then, you know, I started to, I didn't start out podcasting as like a conspiracy guy, honestly. I started out podcasting <laughs> after having had some very intense psychedelic experiences that basically showed me a temporary, I had like a temporary embodiment of my future self. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I could put it. Where for a, for a couple of months there in my early 20s, I was like, I just knew a bunch of shit in terms of metaphysical dynamics and like energy and you some downloads they could say you could yeah it was almost like i got to peek into a window to my future self but i didn't understand it on the intellectual level or have the foundation or groundwork laid to be able to actually you know retain the heightened energy that i experienced from blowing open my chakras with some psychedelics <laughs> i approached them typically approached them with reverence and not purely in a party mindset but you know it was definitely not perfect i don't i neither recommend nor dissuade people from doing that same, same. themselves it's up to you but i did have like this almost samadhi like ability early on where a lot of what i'm now capable of doing in the energy work realm like without tools and without knowledge of the any kind of idea of how it works mechanically if there, there even is such a way of understanding it yeah yeah <laughs> something so purely mental uh it just came to me and i really knew deep down that there was something in my future related to you know at the time i was putting it under the idea of shamanism because i it was maybe the first thing that i started really studying mm -hmm. uh in the metaphysical realm which again, that came from uh, an interest in like expanded consciousness experiences and like, what is life? <laughs> and with, with, so, with like, I almost feel like what I would, what I was doing back then was I'm so keen to like know the answers and many of us are, but it felt like I, I, I went and read the last ch uh, page of the book <laughs> of my <laughs> life to the end. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. Everything's going to be fine in the end. Oh, okay. And then I kind of like forgot all of that, but, and went back to where I was in the story. <laughs> That's fascinating, man. Like if I think about growing up in a similar way and like getting into Terrence McKenna and Alan Watts, it's like, they gave me like yeah, some idea of back then too. like, yeah, like what to expect at the end. And then I sort of like went backwards and forgot all that and had to relearn it again through different means through uh natural organic means, if you want to say that, or, you know, maybe uh, in, in, internal means uh endogenously but that's a really cool segue because you uh brought up you know what this these experiences these formative experiences have helped you move into as as far as you know a service that you provide which is really fascinating so uh as a segue into more of an introduction could you let people know one where to find you and what kind of services do you offer because you offer quite a lot and i'm really excited to learn more um, about how you got into it and uh, what people can expect if they want to um, consult with you. That is fun. Yeah. So in terms of where people can find me, Innerverse is the name of my show. 
So probably at this point, it's the most uh, notorious thing under the name Interverse. <laughs> and I think there's a few other people who have laid claim to that particular name for one thing or another. But my website is interversepodcast.com. My YouTube and my Rockfin channels are a really great way to keep up with my content. And then if people wanted to do one-on-one, as you say, consulting, I kind of like that actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> it gets lumped into the idea of energy healing or that like, you know, probably people out there would look at what I do and label me a healer. But that is maybe not the way that I like to look at it. I don't particularly think I'm doing anything to heal somebody. I'm not like a magic man that can, like in a video game, cast a spell and your wounds close and you stop bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) If I could do that, trust me, you'd all know about it. I'd be (laughs) be in a different line of work, opening a field hospital or something. Right, right. Right. So anyway, the nature of the consulting that I do with people, I really like that. So <laughs> I might start calling it uh, sound consulting, sound biofield, consulting, yeah. biofield consultation. That might be a good way. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what I do, though, is uh, with the tool of tuning forks, like like this big guy I got right here, this bad boy. And I, I use these tuning forks as a way of detecting imbalances in people's biofield or the energetic field that their body is, you know, it's kind of like a chicken and an egg thing. Is your body in your energy field or is your inner, is your body an expression of your energy Mm. field (laughs) or is your energy field created by your body or is your body the core of your energy field and the most dense and solid aspect of it? I kind of think it's maybe the latter. So the, you know, we may want to get into more of the mechanics of what is going on with that energy field and how we consult about it. But essentially, I'm using the tuning forks. And then there is a therapeutic aspect to actually having coherent sound that you can hear. Uh, interestingly enough, it still works without being able to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there's definitely something going on beyond the purely material or in a very subtle aspect of the material but as you know i've been hearing go around lately i think popularizing the phrase my friend topher gardner has been saying it the subtle informs the gross so using these very subtle techniques we're able to help uh you know working together me and the client (laughs) i really like calling it a consultation because what's going on is like we're inquiring with the intelligence of their body Mm aka their energy field where's the imbalances in this energy field that constitute issues with beliefs about themselves or about the world or unexpressed feelings and emotions that are in order to be held back and unexpressed or in the form of a limiting belief this constitutes an actual aberration of energy in the sense that if you have an energetic capacity innately and that when it's full, you're at a hundred percent, like a fully charged battery, then these aberrations or vortexes or compartmentalized pockets of life force are holding you back from the full realization and expression of the 100% full battery, you know, style of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like with your cell phone or with any other device you might have, 
you know, it might work fine at 80%, might work fine at 50%, but you start dipping into the under 20% and then you got problems. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. think, you know, with our modern technology, that's not a perfect analogy because phones work pretty well up until they're nearly dead. But man, I think a lot of people are a lot closer to dead than they realize. <laughs> could be, it could be. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm just that, kidding, but maybe. Yeah, I mean. If you're listening, you know, you're definitely alive as far as I can tell, but you know, maybe these messages have carried beyond to the, the next place or the next dimension, but it's pretty cool that, you know, something that you had mentioned is that you don't really need to hear in order to receive, uh, or to interact with this, this energy, this vibration. And I can personally attest that although, you know, I've never consulted with you directly. I got to listen in to a really cool episode with uh, Michelle's Healing Home. And shout out to her, by the way. She's been doing great. And what I want to say is like, I kind of visualized a triangulation of some sort where it's like you've got the sound that's coming from your tuning fork and the client that you're helping. Um, And then there's the biofields between both of you and the sound is reflecting between this triangulation. And this was something I was listening to through my, my car speakers as I was driving. And I, I heard the sound. I wasn't there in the room with you and Michelle was on a zoom call or stream yard or something like that. And still this energy was able to pass through. And I'm curious, you know, if I'm thinking uh, you about, weren't even listen, listening to it live, right? Yeah, it exactly. Recording it was recording later. Yeah. 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 Like uh, the, you know, the temporal aspect was like taken out of place. And when I'm thinking about the, the biofield, another visual is the, tr- the toroidal field, you know, it's flowing um, in a parallel system up and down kind of like a, a fluid uh, magma. Um, I think what's that? Let's just that call part? it a donut. I really, the, I the just donut. call it a donut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Your donut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 kind of curious because I I'm reminded of this principle of like a radio tower almost or like a radio receiver where if your nervous system isn't attuned properly, like if you have some imbalances or inflammation of of some sort, then the static will increase and your signal won't be very clear. You won't be able to access those higher radio waves, those higher frequencies. And so like, if you were to consult with someone or, uh, you know, try to help someone who feels like maybe their aura or their nervous system isn't really properly attuned, you know, like, where do you start? Like, do you question them? Do you uh, have any like kind of process that you like to lead people through? Like, what could people expect if they uh, come to you with some kind of um, issue? Yeah, let me get to that. But I want to back up a bit. Sure. And even more clearly express a a metaphor for what is going on there because you use the phrase triangulation but one of the great things about it is and you have you know you notice this the temporal aspect isn't even important like you weren't there live and you were still feeling something i would call it more rather than a triangulation it's like a singularityation Mm, (laughs) singularation because the experience of being able to wave tuning forks around in my living room with the while I'm on a call with somebody in another country and tell them things about themselves that they didn't tell me first, specific stuff. To me, that is an expression of the reality 
of what life force energy really is, which I think is super helpful foundational gnosis. And, you know, take it or leave it, but with, uh, you know, consulting with somebody who does biofield tuning or other authentic energy balancing modalities, you can have, especially when you do it remotely, you can have a now experiential knowing of what I'm talking about, the singularity of life force energy. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you strip down all of, you know, take away all of the descriptors and the identifications with who you are, I'm not saying ego is bad or kill your ego or whatever, but if you strip down everything that you think that you are, remove every memory, remove every context of location and environment and et cetera, eventually you would get just down to the core feeling and sense of I exist, I am, right? So for everything that exists, including supposedly inanimate objects, in my opinion, everything that is part of the I am, I exist paradigm is at its root, at its core, at its essence, it is the exact same energy. Mm. So like my idea, people will use, and myself included, I used to describe what goes on with, with tuning under the lens of this has to do with like, there's something about the ether here. <laughs> it's something about ether, but you know, I've kind of backed off on that because part of the reason maybe that ether was never widely accepted in modern times is because there's like real problems with the contradictory nature of what is attempting to be described. Mm. So for me, I just jettison the whole idea that there's some kind of physical interconnecting medium. Uh, okay, I say jettison. I'm not jettisoning it completely. I mean, we know that there's a physical interconnecting medium just in the sense that there's water inside me, there's water in the atmosphere, there's right. water in the water. <laughs> we're all we're all underwater, right? Right. So like, you know, I would just not even call it either. I would just be like, water. <laughs> water has something to play, at play here. But essentially, you know, what I'm trying to get at is that the life force energy that animates all things and is these eternal self-existing conscious and creative intelligence of, of capital R reality is one and indivisible. So that means that the spirit, you could call it spirit, the prana, the chi in me, not only is it connected to the chi in you or the chi in anybody, anywhere, everywhere, it's not it's not even separate. <laughs> it's like, it's not like there's a chunk of chi in me and then there's a chunk of chi. One in single you. ocean. Exactly. It is, in my opinion, life force energy is the aspect of reality that is preliminary to everything dimensional. And by dimensional, I mean, as in measurement, like mm. forward, backward, left, right, up, down, you know, time, space, all that. I think that it's beyond time and space. And thus, it could also be equated with the hermetic axiom of mentalism, the all is mind, that your mind itself is life force energy in expression, in motion. And so, I mean, I'm being a little maybe verbose about it, but what I'm getting at is that the, because life force, this, this energy, this preliminary you know, well, what's the word, uh, proto energy of that is everything, mm. you know, it takes on the shape of its container. It is also equivalent to the idea of consciousness or awareness 
So the more of your life force you have access to, you haven't cut yourself off from. And I know that might even sound contradictory because I'm saying that it can't be divided in that like the full universal, all that ever was life force. You think about water pressure though, like you could, you know, uh, bend a, uh, what's it called? A hose and the water pressure will decrease will decrease you know you can interrupt the flow almost and change the water pressure that's kind of how i picture it that's actually a really good analogy yeah that's a really good analogy so you mentally because the idea of separation and distance is mental and you know this experientially if you do a remote tuning session and i can tell you you know what is going on with you and I've, you never gave me any heads up about it yeah <laughs> and this isn't to say i'm special other people could learn to do this so i'm like you know it's a it's a language honestly but what I mean by all of this that I'm trying to get at is that, you know, the, you never were separate from that 20% or that 40% of your life force that you're not accessing. It's just that you decided not to access it. <laughs> so that like the only, sense. the limitations are purely mental in nature, to be fair. So anyway, um, I'm sure I could say more about all that, but to, you know, give you the actual answer to the question you originally posed what someone could expect in a session with me and tuning is that you know we'll spend a couple minutes talking up front where basically i'm just giving them similar to what i'm going to describe now the full idea of like what we're about to go through mm. along with setting intentions and the setting of intentions you know try this you try this at home kids <laughs> i simply Safe and effective <laughs> i simply invoke that very life force energy, eternal self-existing, yad he vavehe, <laughs> creator and animator of all things, the the supreme being, not as like a noun, being is a verb, supreme being, the all being, all being everywhere at once, that is all of us. I invoke this supreme being and I just ask to be the instrument of its will to expand and to be whole and to be in flow, as you put it. So I throw out the intentions and then we get into the tuning process. Before that, I do some dowsing using dowsing rods to expedite the process of like discovery of where there might be imbalances. That really speeds it up. And then we, uh, we find the holes of your donut, <laughs> mm -hmm. the, uh, the toroidal field, as you describe the top and bottom holes of this toroidal field ought to be aligned with your spine and they ought to be about 12 to 14 inches off your head and below your feet. For most people I check in with, they're at least a little bit off, if not kind of a lot off. So then I move those into place. It's like the method for me on the practitioner side is like, imagine that the tuning fork is like a computer mouse and I'm just doing like a click and drag. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Reorganizing the files, if you will. <laughs> yeah. But you can also look at it like, like an N64 controller mm. with a vibration pack. <laughs> nice. So like when I find what I'm looking for, I get, you know, I get the hint that I found it, except the vibration pack is in my skull. <laughs> yeah. I've heard you describe this, like you will get like a clicking. Uh, you want to describe what, what you meant by that? Because I, I think I've heard you say it was like, your ears click or you like get some kind of uh, like physical reaction when you pick up on something. For example, like when I had practiced and received Reiki, it was like you would feel heat in certain areas of someone's body. And then the colder parts of their body were in 
they they had a greater need for energy like there was something going on there so how would you describe your your physical uh response when you're doing yeah that? and that's something that kind of well totally came about from me practicing it wasn't part of the method i learned and you know i need to back up slightly sure and tell people like i wouldn't know anything about the modality of biofield tuning without eileen de mccusick yes. the author of electric body electric health and tuning the human biofield whose work and products you can find at the biofield tuning store highly recommend people get hip to her entire catalog of offerings and like she's a guru for me <laughs> unofficially i mean um you know maybe more of a friend than a guru but in terms of somebody that actually has changed my life in a massive way like a mentor without what i like about the way she did that was she didn't have to do anything special for me all she did was like put her out put out her work and her findings and yeah, in such yeah. a clear way that i was able to follow along and so reading her books i was able to start to implement the method in oh, creatively in the way that felt right for me and explore it and then in the exploration of it and i'm positive that qigong practice has something to do with my sensitivity and being able to That's interesting. Yeah. more easily you know, manage the energy, if you will, that I discovered eventually along the way that I would get, it would click, my ears would pop. I would, there would be clicks in my head whenever I found what I was looking for. And now it is like, I, you know, it took me a while to fully trust it, but now I'm at the point where I so fully trust it that I can use it for anything. <laughs> It's like a weird superpower. And so this is what I mean, though, when I say that the life force energy animating your vessel, body vessel, is not separate from all universal mm -hmm. life force energy in the whole creation, which would mean that your, your body or the life force energy in your body is not really separate. They, it knows everything already. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And so it really just falls on us to figure out a way to communicate with that innate intelligence of our being. And the simplest way to do that is to come up with a system of yes or no answers. There are other methodologies that have figured this out, like kinesiology and muscle testing. And so I don't claim that it's the best way. It's my way. And other yeah, people could probably exactly. learn. And, you know, if it, if it sounds like far out, uh, but you're willing to experiment, Try asking your body questions, man. Oh, yeah. Do <laughs> like, some energy testing, yeah. Yeah, you know, ask your body, uh, show me a method that I can get yes or no answers mm -hmm. from you, body, and see what happens. I would love to find, you know, I imagine that there could be a bunch of different ways that someone could. Like yeah. you described with Reiki, the hot and the cold. Right. Sounds like a very similar modality because we know that the feeling of hot and cold, although is influenced by the external environment, of course, it is possible to have feelings of hot and cold that are not really externally influenced. Like if you've ever had uh, the chills or if you've ever mm -hmm. had a fever and you know it's super hot in the room, but you're freezing or, or whatever, that's something going on internally. So you know, your feelers are able to uh, <laughs> alter themselves internally based on what might be necessary. And like, you know, the fever or the chills, they have something to do with helping your body to purge or expel or aligns whatever is going on that needs to be worked with that's another key thing for people out there that may not be thinking this way yet to look at what the, the mainstream calls symptoms which are the enemy to the allopathic mm -hmm. as your best friend <laughs> you know whatever form of discomfort or pain dissonance what have you go through it go into it and it's 
through it is where your relief is or where your balance or your health or your healing, your detox, whatever. And we really, I already was thinking this way, but it really clicked home when I was talking to Elise uh, from Family Fungi about mm. empowered childbirth and what it's like to go through the process of bringing another life through your womb portal without anyone there but you and your you know husband which right. is what she yeah, yeah. she talked about and how she was like the baby is on the other side of the pain the hospital they try to numb out all that pain but actually the pain in the childbirth is joyful if you realize that that's where your baby's at think about you know for parents out there or anyone that knows parents which is everybody <laughs> <laughs> True. A lot of parents would go, would walk through fire to save their baby. They would right. walk, you know, they'd be like, my baby's on the other side of that pain and they would just do it. Well, you can look at all of the good, true and beautiful that you might be feeling separate from as on the other side of or through whatever the pain or dissonance is that you're currently experiencing. So rather than masking or suppressing your body's ability to self-regulate, which is what all symptoms are. Is an attempt to self-regulate the body never does anything that is that is bad for it <laughs> the body's not stupid your body's not broken your immune system is not attacking you what if you don't you know what if the immune system idea is not even really accurate i like to call immunity i rephrase it to i'm unity I'm because unity, yes when you're in unity with all things then yeah you're definitely not attacked by some external demonic boogeyman germ ninja mm -hmm whatever these, uh, you know, alien tiny little creatures are yeah, that everyone's yeah. so fucking scared of. The invisible <laughs> So <enemy>. anyway, <laughs> to yeah, circle back around to finish the answer uh, fully, we, we find the holes of the donut, we get those aligned, and then using uh, the tuning forks, although I could do it without them if I wanted to, I like to have the props. And I also think there's benefit to coherent sound outside of this process, but you know, I'm fine. I find where the stuck energy is off left, right, front, back of the body. I click and drag it back into position. If it's particularly sticky and it's not really moving without uh, coming into an expression of speaking it out loud, then I might say something like, okay, so did your mom, what did your mom leave your family or, or pass away or something mm -hmm. when you were around three or when you're around five or whatever. And then I might not be exactly right, but they'll You're say like probing a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I get, I have reason to think what I think because yeah. the anatomy of the biofield is such that if I found energy off balance that was stuck behind and to the left of about the solar plexus height of the client, then I would know, well, it has something to do with feeling not supported by their mom. And then there's another element to the process that's a little more mysterious where the idea, the full idea sometimes will just pop into my head, you know, randomly. But at the end of the day, whether or not I got it exactly right, they'll know what it refers to. Mm -hmm. yeah. I might say, like, this is a specific example. I had a client where I was like, uh, what happened with your mom? Did she, you know, leave or whatever at, at the age of three <laughs> is what I was guessing. I was like, when you're really little, maybe a toddler or a baby, was your mom out of the picture? And then she told me that she was, she had to stay at, uh, she lived in China and she had to stay with a nanny for mm. up to a week at a time and her parents weren't there. And I was like, okay, well, that kind of is a, you know, an equivalent. Your parents are working for a week at a time and you see them maybe one day a week. But then I found out a little later in the session that 
actually though at about five her mom did leave her family entirely wow so yeah yeah so my first guess was right but the age i guessed i was sort of wrong but it was already kind of happening before that age anyway that's an example of how like some of the stuff that we need to get to the core of yeah and to quickly to clarify outside, yeah or spoken out loud i should say right to quickly clarify did you kind of like deduce that this was a, a maternal issue because it was on the left side as opposed to the right side is that kind of how you figured that out actually <laughs> actually it was i was i think i was like tuning her knees or something mm. oh, maybe like in her ankles um and the idea of your mom isn't around came into my mind fully formed <laughs> Wow, yeah, like even, the entire idea just uh yeah and wow. i when i first started i was really sus of of stuff like that and i was like i would mentally torture myself like should i say it mm. i think that your dog died when you were seven but that's so so random and specific and then i would just be like you know did you maybe did this maybe happen at this time and they'd be like yes <laughs> that mm. did and then anyway so it was uh eventually something I could just trust. And now, even though it's maybe not a hundred percent, sometimes I can still play a trick on myself. And it's almost like the experience of shamanic journeying, internal world journeying, where you're like using the drum and rattle track. And this was one of the early parts of my exploration of consciousness was this particular technique where you sort of go into a trance state where you're really just surfing on the edge of paying attention and letting go at the same time. Right. Yeah. So the key to staying in the zone there, and it's really like zone practice is that you observe all the images and things coming up into your mind without trying to then be like, Oh, that, that must be this. And then like mm -hmm. letting your, <laughs> letting your pattern recognition device, that is that part of your mind come up with like an explanation. So, I still surf that a little bit. Like every once in a while, I might throw something out there that ends up being inaccurate. And it's more like, uh, it's it maybe is because like I have read into it a little more than what the initial flash of insight was. But mm -hmm. the funny thing about even when that happens is that it ends up being interpretable or relative, like relevant to something we come up with elsewhere that really does matter. So mm. You know, because I give the process up to Supreme Being, I invoke their higher self and my higher self in the intention setting. I truly only just want to help. Like, right. you know, there's other ways that I could make a living than tuning people, but uh, plenty, I, you know, plenty of ways. I truly just want to be of assistance and be that uh, meteor, mediator between themselves and their own energy field and what they're hiding from themselves. I think that there's like a divine level of guidance in that where, uh, you know, and anyone out there that can like honestly and fully truly say that they just want to help in whatever modality that they're putting themselves, you know, out there to offer that if you know that you are trustworthy, then just trust yourself. Exactly. <laughs> trust exactly. If, if you're really trustworthy, then you can trust yourself. I mean, it sounds really simple, right? But it is a practice of, letting go of like the, what if I'm wrong, mm. then they'll think that I'm uh, inauthentic or I'm fake or, or whatever, or I just won't look as good. And you let all that go and you just express what comes up and what comes through in full faith and trust that in the process of what we're doing in this cer ceremony of tuning, 
that the wrong thing won't happen, that the, exactly the right thing is the only thing that ever happened anyway, anywhere, including during that ceremony. So uh, I give I give it up to the most high and I just let it rip and we just see where it goes. And, you know, people come back from more than one session fairly often. So it tells me that it must be valuable to them. And, you know, there've been some fascinating, specific, and even occasionally dramatic results. Mm. I want to ask you about that in a second. Um, First of all, namaste, brother, because that was a really cool answer. And I didn't expect to uh, go in a couple different directions like that. And there's one thing that you've reminded me of, which is earlier you had said you kind of like surf this phenomenon. And you've probably seen this uh, Venn diagram image. It's like discipline on one side and surrender on, on the other side. And the middle of the Venn diagram is flow. And that's really cool. That's a, that's kind of what I was thinking about when you kind of explained this process of trusting. And I'm grateful that you've, uh, you've fully leaned into that uh, because I know you've been helping a lot of people. And one thing in particular, you know, I quickly want to mention that you told this really cool story about someone who was purging after going through their experience on 9-11. And that's fascinating to me. But I wanted to ask you as well about etymology language and how that's accompanying your practice because when I was listening to your session with Michelle I picked up on the fact and I didn't know this was gonna like this was my my first time kind of witnessing this so it was really cool I didn't know what to expect so you were uh you know creating the uh, sound I, I guess or you know you're tuning and then you were giving uh almost like words of affirmation and there was a theme behind it it was a theme of like you don't have to be grinding and hustling all day every day you can take a break you can give yourself a day off or you know you don't have to stress your energy so much and that's the specific particular um point that i was able to witness on that podcast i was wondering if you wanted to explain a bit about that method of you know introducing language and maybe these words of affirmation, uh, if you if you call it that, into your practice while you're doing these tunings. Yeah, that's an awesome question, man. Probably we were dealing with the energies around the root chakra on the right mm-hmm. side, the, the right hip area, where, so there's like a very common, it's particularly common in Western nations, or used to be, I think maybe the left side imbalance is more, getting more common lately, but that's a side side note that the right hip can hold on to the sense or the belief that we must be productive at the expense of our own well-being mm-hmm. right i mean even though people probably aren't internally holding the thought and belief of you know i got to i got to grind uh now and if i just work hard enough then any health problems that I incur, I can pay for later because I made so much money. You know, that's the uh, car repair, (laughs) car mechanic model of health that we've been sold by Mm. insurance companies and the mainstream medical establishment, AKA the mafia. (laughs) (laughs) True, true, true. (laughs) Well, we should just call them what it is. It's the mafia. But Mm. so there are ways that we can, reframe our own this beliefs about ourselves or what we want and we can do that with language language is a good operating system for it and essentially though with the area of the biofield you're talking about the reason why people typically 
the motivation that makes people prone to overwork themselves to the point of self-harm is because they feel guilty that they aren't productive enough. Hmm. And this is a problematic way of operating for a lot of reasons, but particularly that, you know, okay, so it works on this overlap between the root chakra and the sacral chakra, where the tangential area of the sacral chakra to the root in this right hand side, more in the front facing forward, you know, what's in front of you, uh, holds on to the energy of guilt and shame. So because there's this tangential, you know, these parts of the energy fields of the root and sacral relating to overworking and guilt and shame are touching each other. It implies, and it ends up being largely true that people's overworking is happening at the rate of feeling or at the, you know, the reason of feeling guilty if they don't, even if it's just kind of internal. So all that being said, you are perfectly welcome to work as hard as you want. <laughs> you know, we could easily just fall back on the cliche of the, you know, the destination is not as important as the journey or something like that, right? Yeah. Because whenever you're so goal focused or destination oriented, I'm not saying don't have goals. I'm not saying to not choose a destination, but whenever it's like, I won't be happy until X, until I've done X amount or I've done Very this. conditional. Well, it's, yeah, that conditional, and that's perfect because we're talking about with the sacral overlap that goes on here. The best way to describe healthy, like if you could just pick one word to express the healthy feeling given to us by the sacral chakra, it is satisfaction. Hmm. Root chakra is more like security. At the, if you had to boil it down to one word, all of these areas of our energy field relate to a lot of parts of life, but say, uh, security and then satisfaction, mm -hmm. kind of, those are the levels of this totem pole in their most pure essence. And so whenever you're operating from that, I'll be satisfied with X that's in the future, mm -hmm. forward, front part of the biofield, right? Future oriented. Well, no matter where you are, in the future, in proximity to that, uh, I'll be satisfied with X when, when Y, when you get to X and Y, the goalpost will be pushed further out <laughs> because it's not really about the thing itself that you're working on or the productivity itself or the time frame itself or the journey itself. It's about the configuration of your energy field. Hmm. So what you're craving on the simplest level is this part of yourself that you've pushed away in front of yourself, mostly to the right in this example. And you really want that. You're like, you feel incomplete without it. <laughs> and it's just right there. But then as you move towards it, because you're keeping it out in front of you and to the right, as you move forward, it moves forward with you. And it just stays mm -hmm. out of reach in that zone, metaphorically speaking. So when we, when it comes to the affirmative aspect or the ling language aspect that you initially asked, asked me about, it's like, even if, even if you don't strongly resonate with the issue of, uh, I'm not satisfied until I'm X amount of productive or I've done a certain thing, you can still at any point choose the belief about yourself that you want to hold. So the, <laughs> the belief about yourself that you might want to just reprogram yourself with or 
decide on right now in this moment as we're talking about this particular element of our energy field would be i am satisfied with myself period <laughs> i'm satisfied with myself or exclamation point <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah or like i work hard when it's in flow mm. i work hard when it's but not at the expense of my well-being you know you can still have the belief of like i'm a hard worker yeah great work ethic is awesome and the key is though back to that idea of the discipline on one side and let's not i don't really like surrender but what, yeah, let's yeah. say flexibility flexibility is good yeah i like <laughs> discipline that. and flexibility this polarity and in the middle of it is flow well that's exactly a great way to look at your productivity and also like yeah it is you are allowed to rest and even though it might feel like you are not producing and like we're programmed by these 40 hour a week jobs and uh how all that universe works <laughs> of of you know the corporate slave monkey game the sense of i'm resting doesn't necessarily equate to the sense of like i'm getting sharper i'm getting stronger but it is hmm. i'm not saying like you know there might be times in your life where you just go ham like you're doing you from wake up to fall asleep you're like getting all kinds of stuff done why don't we just stop worrying about some kind of larger constellation of success defined by uh, something material in any way or an accomplishment or something and instead just honestly do the best you can every day while putting your own well-being at the highest priority and dismissing any sense of guiltiness or shame mm -hmm. that is unwarranted you know and that's pretty long-winded but oh no well said well know, said yeah yeah, no, it's it's interesting too. I mean, I picked up on this particular word you just used, which is constellation. It's like a constellation of success. And I'm sure you can probably guess where I'm going with this. You know, like one one thing that I definitely know for sure, like deep in my being is that kind of like what I was saying earlier with like the radio frequency, like I cannot contemplate higher truths, if you want to call it that, if my biofield isn't um, adjusted properly. Like if there's some kind of, imbalance then i won't be concerned about the constellations or whatever is um above and beyond me um you know as above so below it's almost like i've got to take care of my physical my mental my spiritual form before i can contemplate anything beyond that that being said you know everything is connected through this one fluid medium but one thing in particular that you said was constellation. And I really want to ask you about astrotheology in a long-winded um, segue. And it's something oh, that I- great I've, segue. Uh, thank You're you. You're welcome. I set you right up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People uh, will probably, you know, if they- Hold on. Can you it, hold the thought for a second? Yeah, of course. And of I, course. I just, I, I do want to get into that, but uh, what you just said is super important. I just want to highlight where you- had made the point that whenever I'm not in full energetic balance and integrity, that I don't have the capacity to contemplate higher truths or right. the bigger picture of things. That's really helpful gauge of where you're at. Mm. Actually, you know, if your thoughts are mostly consumed with escapism or uh, gratification or, or whatever, that is probably a good sign that there's some, you know, something out of whack or some part of your energy that needs to be brought back into flow. And 
you know, I'm not saying that having fun can't be a part of the equation. <laughs> I'm a bothist. <laughs> bothist, yeah. Yeah, and actually, in in, uh, in energetic integrity, you can do all kinds of shit that, you know, somebody that is more like afraid of, a, you know, their diet being slightly off or like a piece of a slight piece of juice from meat will make me no longer a good boy. Right, or whatever, right. you know, whatever the case may be. Sorry, vegans. I'm not trying to rip on you. I used to be you. It's all good. Me too. Um, my point, I'll just simplify this and quit being so long-winded. My point being that the ancient idea that all learning is remembering, I think mm-hmm. it's like a platonic idea. It totally applies. In fact, it applies really well to what I was describing right at the beginning of how I had this temporary embodiment of my future self when I was a lot younger. And I think that's because this life force energy that we're talking about, that we either have a full experience of or are in some way diminished, it is also our consciousness and it's our spirit and it's who we are. So the more access we have to the full capacity of our battery of ourself, the more we start to remember. So like what I would exam- you know what I would point out about this is maybe people can point in their own life to an example of what I'm describing that there are certain epiphanies I've had about the nature of life or about myself or about spirituality or metaphysics that epiphanies that were just like whoa <laughs> and they blew my mind and like I'll never forget that that's such a huge download or whatever you want to call it <laughs> and then I kind of like you know back on my bullshit and <laughs> totally forget about it and then like two months or two years or however long later, I'll be like really strong again. I may, I'll do a cleanse or I'll like get my shit together. And then all of a sudden it's like, I remember that thing. Exactly. Like, how did I forget that? That was key. That was some key shit that like Mm -hmm. totally helped me understand myself. And I totally forgot it. I think that it's exactly what I'm describing that. Yeah. Your energy body is also your capacity to remember who you are and how things and to see the interconnectivity in all things, because at the end of the day, what nature is, is a big giant infinite ecosystem of everything everywhere, all at once in constant touch and communication with itself and each other. So, you know, this actually ties into transhumanism, which is uh, at its core, the attempt to route all information and consciousness and, you know, directive of, action and thought through a CPU, <laughs> through one route, right. like all routed to one central location and then orders given back out to every other location from the central. Your body doesn't work that way. It's not like you need your fingertips to talk to your brain and your brain is controlling every part of your body from you know head to toe, but that you want your fingertips to be connected to your knees and your <laughs> hips to be connected to your ankles and like mm-hmm. every part of you to be in constant communication with every other part of you, which is how your body is able to go about doing what it needs to do to shuffle one type of resource, physical internal resource to another part of itself in, you know, instantaneous transmission. <laughs> the soil does this mycelial networks, trees that can send their nutrients to other trees miles away within moments when it, you know, is known that they need it or all of this is how nature works. It's this big system of intercommunication, the cloud, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, lo- very long winded interruption. Let's continue with. Hey, it's all right. No, that interjection is really cool. Cause you reminded me of something I, I uh, kind of wanted to bring up earlier. I know they're like visual representation. You know, you talk about like you could 
consume a certain substance or just have a spontaneous uh, experience and your, your chakras are blown wide open. I kind of imagine like, you know, let's think about the toroidal concept of Kundalini it's flowing up and down your spine. And when you have these experiences, it's almost like you're taking the elevator all the way up and you, the, the, the doors open and you get to look in, but the elevator is like going to go back down eventually. And then like, so every now and then, you know, you get your, your diet, right. Your sleep, right. Uh, your relationships, right. And that elevator will eventually be able to reach that top floor again and give you those insights that you previously have forgotten or have lost access to. So I'm glad that you reminded me of that because it just, it's a, a motivational influence for me to continue uh, with my personal practices. I know we all have different lifestyle, different diet, et cetera. And whatever that thing is that you can do to help that elevator flow smoothly up and down, you know, that's what we got to do. And so I appreciate that your, your services help people to uh, take back the, the power that might be um, maybe, uh, like society, culture, et cetera, their loosh is being taken away. That's just to use one, one form of that, uh, you know, symbolic reference to energy vampirism and things like that. So when we're considering other higher concepts, you know, I've heard you talk about astrotheology a lot. This ties into etymology. It's a topic that I feel like, you know, I, I wasn't raised with a religious structure. So I've always been curious because, I got lucky in that sense. I didn't have to, um, you know, identify to one tribe or creed. I was uh, open to all of it. And so now I'm starting to hear about these other interpretations. Uh, it's really cool. I'll borrow um, a phrase from Miguel Connor of uh, Aeon Bite. He would say astrognosis. I, th I, I think it's pretty cool because when we think about the luminaries in the sky and these characters these archetypes in these ancient texts there's a there's a clear connection there that i'm starting to care about more because it's influencing my worldview and i feel like it's there's just something about it there's this old old wisdom that maybe has been lost or uh even suppressed in in some cases and i'm curious uh, where you want to start if you were to introduce people to the concept of astro theology and how you've personally interacted with this huge, broad topic. What would you say? Astrotheology is a huge topic. It is probably overall one of the most useful tools in the whole kit for helping break somebody out of the, I would call it the mysticism madness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I talk about, I refer to this a lot, but one of my, one of my all-time faves, Wilhelm Reich mm -hmm. in his book, ether, God, and devil. He really does an awesome job pointing out that, yeah, we are, we're, we're all probably pretty hip to how mechanistic thinking is super limiting and trying to break everything down to its components and parts like the left-brained worldview of scientism, which is a cult often does where, you know, the scientist is the priest and they tell you what's true and you accept it because you don't have the tools to look at the tiny little parts and the microscope and all that shit. Mm. Well, Mysticism is the same thing, and that's also very lost. It's maybe more lost, uh, you know, the in the conspiracy crowd, if you will. People that are interested in researching conspiracy, well, it's pretty evident how the mechanistic scientism cult is running amok. But symbolically, if you have any form of symbolic literacy, it doesn't take very 
much investigation to see that well, well this cult of scientism and the white lab coats of the doctors they utilize the same symbols as the priest class what's mm -hmm. that about <laughs> as michael tessarion says you are brought into the world by the white coat and you're taken out of the world by the black robe exactly you know it's the same cradle the grave it's the same you know, it's the same network and mafia that we've allowed to run amok by giving up our own power and our own capacity to the technologies offered by this particular cult. So astrotheology is really great for helping bust somebody out of the mysticism mindset. But the issue with that is, you know, that I see even with a lot of my own friends and the community of synchro mystic researchers and all that is they drink, they still, a lot of them still drink the Kool-Aid pretty heavy. <laughs> and I am not like going to tell somebody that their subjective mythical mystical experiences are invalid, but they're subjective. They're not like shared reality consensus truth that we should be like, you know, evangelizing. I'm not calling out anybody specific yeah, here. It's just like the same phenomenon. Like you and I will go to, to sleep tonight and we'll have different dreams. And those are just subjective experiences. You know, we cannot have, maybe it's possible, but like shared dreaming, but individually is, we're going to have different visions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a different podcast maybe, but <laughs> yeah. But what I, what I'm getting at there is just that we don't, it's not helpful in my opinion to try to pass off your own mystical experiences as some kind of gospel that mm. is uh going to be verifiable by other people or that they should just take your word for it because you said so because then we're doing exactly the same thing that the cult of scientism yeah, and tribalism does so it's like mysticism is the right brain imbalance where you take it, the dogma from the guy in the black robe and then mechanism is the left brain dogma where you take the because i said so from a guy in a white coat it's mm -hmm. the same thing either way it's an imbalanced thinking now with uh, so like again I, to just finish hammering this point home, uh, astro when we make discoveries in syncretism or in astrotheology, a lot of times the feeling is like we're being led along in this path of amazing mystical synchronicity that is things are falling in our lap. And it's like very easy for people to take the bait of the new age where mm. you're like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm rolling with ISIS. ISIS is my goddess or like, some other fictional character, you know, guys, I had, I did an exercise to meet my spirit guides one time and I met Gandalf, Gandalf the wizard. Gandalf gray or Gandalf yeah, so the white, I guess. <laughs> doesn't take away the value of the stuff that I, I got in that little meeting and communication in my own psychic realm. Mm -hmm. But to try to like, to me, that's my subjective evidence that uh, these fictional characters that are mythological heroes and gods are accessible in the psyche they live in our imaginations they have a type of egregoric existence that feels separate but the key is to understand that we animate that <laughs> and if we want to be like the new age new cage movement offers slaves to a different kind of uh mind muddled delusion of sort of religious fervor or my team is better than your team i i like the Norse pantheon, that's my team. And we're the special ones, you know, I, whatever tradition you like, and if you derive useful morality or understanding of nature, your world or yourself through it, good, great. 
great, but let's put the brakes on trying to say that like, (laughs) because I met Odin in a vision, that means he's real, even though I can demonstrably show how Odin is Thoth, is Mercury, is Buddha, et cetera, is Jesus, et cetera. You know, they're fictional characters. This is a literary tradition we're dealing with. And the old, the origins of the literary tradition does appear to be astrotheology. At the core of what we're talking about in this whole podcast, not just in the astrotheology subject matter, is we're discussing the technology of language. Right. Now, the biofield anatomy is a language that allows you to communicate with the intelligence of your body. And it's a very useful language at that. What's interesting is the definition of technology as we use it today refers to things like devices, like, you know, our cell phone or something. That's a technology. Some, usually electronics is what we end up putting under the label. But technically everything is a technology that externalizes, plagiarizes, or what have you, some innate ability that you had or that nature could do. And now you've created a type of shortcut to it. Now that's not in and of itself bad. Interesting though, is to look back on the older definition of technology in the previous time. If you go to the Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is my favorite, and you can find it online mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't come at me like, oh, it's online. So it must be corrupt or like they can change the definitions or whatever. I don't care. I don't care. It's, it's good how it is. You know, no one's going and fucking with the Webster's Dictionary 1828.com because nobody's using it. (laughs) If it really comes to that, we'll just log on to the uh, Wayback Machine. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. The point is, though, that, you know, in the older usage of the word technology, it was a description of arts, a description of arts or a treatise on the arts or alternative definition was an explanation of the terms of the arts. Interesting. So. When I'm talking about the language of the biofield anatomy, then it's actually a technology. Hmm. Think about the, the terms of art is a phrase that is extremely important, especially in a legalistic sense, because the whole reason such terms of art ever came about was due to the occultation of skill sets and knowledges that different castes uh, and type, you know, types of, uh, what you would call professions would have. So whenever you were, for example, like ancient India, the all of the stonemasons had a guild, right? And they kept their secrets to themselves. All the blacksmiths had a guild. They kept their trade secrets to themselves. One of the ways that they did that was obscuring what they were talking about through the terms of art. And we see this still prominent today in the particularly grabbled professions such as lawyers, doctors, but it really applies everywhere. So doctors have a jargon. The lawyers have legalese. Legalese, That is a huge side topic. But Mm. the point is, is that these terms of art are a technology. And that's fascinating to me because you can go to, it's a two-way street with this is like that. That means that is like this. Mm. So when we say that language is a technology, then we're saying technology is language. And Interestingly, the original definition of technology is actually referring to language. <laughs> I find that yeah, super, yeah. super interesting. But there's a lot of interesting correspondences there too, because uh, you know when you talked about art, I immediately thought of Prospero from Shakespeare's The The Tempest, because Prospero refers to his magic because he's like uh, an 
occult representation of John D. People say uh, from the Elizabethan court, you know, the court astrologer, etc. So Prospero refers to magic as his art, and what he's doing is he's got a wand or a special jacket, and he's using language to cast spells, and that's his his art, that's his tool, his trade, and uh, it's pretty cool that you brought it back to language being this uh, quote unquote tech, this tech that is uh, accessible to all of us and various forms too like if someone is on team odin that's like saying oh you know if you speak english it's you're superior than someone who speaks spanish you know it's just different languages to describe um a unified principle of this this realm this place that we're cohabiting together it's cool Hmm. and astrotheology does represent a very good candidate for a unified principle or a unified language or technology and to really go in deep into astrotheology is a fun ride and it never ends, which mm-hmm. is why I find it so fascinating and I love it in the sense that <laughs> because things, mythological stories and miracle tales are encoded in the sky many different ways. Like, you know, one story, for example, Noah's Ark, where you have the dove element. <laughs> there's more than one dove up there. So, you know, you could look at it from multiple angles and still find all the elements of your story. And most of the angles or ways of looking at it or looking up there are lost on us because we've lost the the Kabbalah or the secret transmission. Mm. These terms of the arts were maybe no nobody guarded their terms of art more than the astronomer priests. They yeah, were yeah. real, real guarded about it. So, and interestingly enough, for the, for a long time, they were the only ones that even had the technology of written language. Mm-hmm. So their terms of art became externalized into the form of letters. They're the men of letters, keeping us in fetters, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I want to blame them. I don't. I, but that was the original gate gatekeeping, you could say, was language itself or written language itself. Yeah, I honestly think that the fall from the state of all knowingness that humanity may have originally experienced rather than being monkeys. I think it was a descent, not an ascent, mm-hmm. right? Devolution, not evolution per se. Um, but only devolution in our beliefs, <laughs> in our minds, because our capacities never really shifted that much. Anyway, uh, you know, what I started to realize recently was how Technology is something that replaces an innate ability that we had, like the folklore knowledge of what herbs to use for what ailments was replaced by going to the doctor or having the doctor come to your house and they give you the petrochemical pill. Right. So in that, that's a good example. Or like the ability to keep your clothing clean, wash it in the river, hang it up to dry, whatever abilities there might have been was shortcutted by the washer and dryer. And if we take that to heart and we expand it out as far as that thought experiment goes, which really starts to push on the boundaries of what we can imagine. Mm. And we start to conceptualize that everything that we use as a technology or device is an externalization of an innate ability that we have. And in fact, a plagiarization of some potential that exists in consciousness, in life force that was always there. Then you start to think like, 
maybe we have this ability to talk through a Zoom call like we are right now, not because of technology, but the technology is our explanation on the terms of the arts or a description of the arts and the art in this case being the art of communicating psychically, visually and auditorially that we could, what's boiling down to the essence of what's going on here is the one life force energy has created a story of Jake and chance and that they're talking to each other, but they're in different places far away. So what's the story or what's the description on how that happened? Well, there's a series of tubes and pipes and there's like juice going through them. And in that juice or it's electric. And in that, you know, the, the message and the faces are in there and it's going from one screen to the other. There's like, this we don't crazy even know how the fuck that works. Force called Wi-Fi. Yeah. Dude, it's magic. Yeah, it is <laughs> basically magic. Yeah. magic. I mean, yeah. I know that maybe there's people out there that can mechanically break it down somewhat how it works, but Nobody has ever explained to me how in this in an electrical signal in a cord is all the information that we call data that comes through our computers like to me I'm just like over here thinking. Yeah, this is just the store. This is just the cover story for the fact that we're psychic infinite beings that could communicate with each other across any distance because distance is conceptual and separation is a mental idea. Provably so whenever you do something like remote biofield tuning great full circle moment right there <laughs> <laughs> well so when you really take that idea to the full extent and you look at astrotheology and written language and letters it starts to become maybe possible that at an earlier time in our development what we used as our technology our explanation of the terms of the art to conceptualize everything that we are everything the world is all the cycles of nature and what we do in the hero's journey as individuals was up there in the as above mm -hmm. and that we had some kind of psychic you know leniency in ourselves that th that that akashic record of the above which is it's fascinating the fascinating thing about the as above and i know that from every part of the world you can't see every part of the sky at once that's true but you can see a lot of it at once <laughs> you know yeah. you know it's kind of like the amount of the night sky that you could see at once is kind of akin to how you can see only uh, not quite 180 degrees at any given time. Yeah, but that, that peripheral you know, boundary is quite yeah, large. That dualism, that yin and yang, yeah. that polarity of like, I can see the front of this cup, but not the back. But if mm -hmm. I turn it, I can see the this side, but now I can't see the other side. Yeah. But it's still like a big fucking picture, mm -hmm. literally a big picture book in the sky. That's what this astrotheology is describing. Mm -hmm. So... It has always boggled my mind how anybody could have looked up at the stars and been like, okay, we're going to start the process now, boys, of codifying everything that's up there, everything that we know into the names of stars and making pictures out of how we play dot to dot. And like, what if instead of somebody going through that process in sort of like an authorship way, what if it was just self-evident up there? Mm. And then who people would tell stories about what they saw up there in the form of entertainment to each other and maybe somebody who was really good at telling stories from up there started to get invested with the technology of knowledge as in the rest of the tribe was like you know shit you're the storyteller you just do it and maybe a progression went on from there that led us eventually to a further externalization of this innate capacity to know all that we are and all that is in the form of written language and letters that comes about and we just keep on this slide of 
externalizing and externalizing all of our capacities and capabilities into technologies or languages that describe them. And why would this even happen? And to me, I think it's like cosmomitosis that mm. this, that's my word for it anyway, that this mirror technology being a mirror of our innate capacities as, you know, creators, that the further we go along this progression of the creation of technology, the more that we become able to see our full range of who and what we are and what we're capable of. And I find that fascinating. And to me, that's the biggest draw of astrotheology is getting the thought experiment of going all the way back in time to like, how did this even come about that there was a picture book in the stars? And what does it mean? And is it something that was pre-existing there that the word is the heavens, the sky father, the logos is up there. And that at the point that we started putting our words into on paper, or on other, you know, scrolls or whatever, it's written language and letters. Uh, that process started to take some of the innate knowing out of the sky and put it onto paper. And interestingly enough, then it became more of an interpretive game of like, how can I read the sky today? And now that we have these written languages, written letters, well, that constellation, Pegasus Square, looks kind of like a uh, a cuneiform symbol called. Iku, which meant field to the Sumerians. So then at that point early on, not saying that they're like the oldest or most original, but at that point early on, we start to see the practice of our written languages now informing how we interpret what is up there. But the mm. wild thing is, it still starts to give you truth or metaphysical insight through this interesting process of discovery of the various homonyms and synonyms and puns that you can derive out of looking at the sky clock. And to go back to the Sumerian example again, a great way to conceptualize this would be with like asking the question of where does Jesus come from? And there's a lot of elements to the Jesus story and the the miracle stories of the Bible, but to just like give a little sampler of the granular detail that astrotheology is able to provide in terms of an explanatory factor to how we got these wild stories of mythology and miracles in the Bible and all the other religions of the world. We look at the Regulus star within the Leo constellation, which was called by the Sumerian star atlases, like the Mul Apin, it was called Sharu. And Sharu, Sharu could mean king or it could mean child. Hmm. So in that star, you have the child king. <laughs> and it's around the virg virgin Virgo. There's a lot of other elements of the story that are all up there too. But we're just honing in on this one star, Regulus, which is one of the four royal stars and has a lot of significance as being not only one of the brightest in the sky, but making up the four corners of the fixed signs of the zodiac, where interestingly enough, there are two bright red stars across from each other and two bright blue stars across from each other, the four royal stars who are the four evangelists of the new testament hmm. and they form a cross if you were to connect the dots and that's very interesting but regulus or sharu king slash child could also be phoneticized with a logogram or an abbreviation that meant uh <laughs> let me pull up my notes here sure, i was sure. just writing about this the logograms get a little tricky but a logogram is an abbreviation that they used back in the back in the day of the cuneiform uh, priest uh, writers, if you will. And the logograms were like abbreviations that helped them shorthand the more complicated 
uh, lines and arrows required to write out the full word like Sharu. Mm -hmm. So one of the logograms they would use was ad. And one of the meanings of ad, because these abbreviations could mean multiple things also, uh, and they were the only ones using it. It wasn't like a public language or anything. So they were able to get like, and it was an early and primitive system. So they are kind of squirrely with it, but ad could mean one of the meanings was father, which the word for that is Abu. Interesting that ad was father as a logogram because we still have the ad in dad. Yeah, right. Ad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the uh, Sumerian word Abu meaning father is basically the same word as ab, which is priest or not priest, which is uh father in Hebrew, like mm. ab, ram, abram, abram. abram. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Father ram or father Brahm, father Brahma, <laughs> Abraham. And anyway, so right there in the cuneiform, uh, the old star atlas version of this regulus star, just a single star, you have child, you have king, you have father. And then interestingly enough, the phonetic uh, similarity between, okay, so here's this logogram representing Sharu could also be spelled in a different way. So different regions of this astronomer priest class and at different times, because they weren't all like on an internet or anything, yeah, they had their little yeah. sex and their monasteries and all that. Uh, in another place, somebody came up with a logogram for Sharu slash Regulus that was pronounced Lugal. And then later on, uh, this astrotheology arises out of the fact that you have later, you know, uh, followers of this system that look at what their predecessors did, and they form dictionaries and lexicons of all the possible variations because mm -hmm. they're going through and combing through the ancient texts kept in the temples. So not so Shadru could be ad, which is father, but it could also be the logo grammar abbreviation that was pronounced Lugal, but Lugal had more than one reading which was the, the other reading was Shar, just Shar rather than Sharu. And that was interestingly a, what you call, uh, let's see, what is it called when homonym, where two words exactly sound the same, like there, yeah, there, yeah, there. Homophone, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that Lugal or Shar, which became Shar was also phonetically identical to a, another logogram or abbreviation that meant to increase or he increases. Hmm which is the definition of the Hebrew word Yosef, which is Joseph. Yosef. So right there in just Regulus, you have the child king, who is Jesus, and his father, Ad, which is Joseph. He increases. Mm. And because the same stellar tableau or picture of grouping of constellations was used to create the story of his birth and his death, not only is his father named Joseph, but his the, his uh, benefactor who takes his body from the cross and puts it in the tomb, which is part of the Ophiuchus constellation, was named Joseph of Arimathea, mm -hmm. Joseph of Arithmetic. He increases. So, you know, but true believers and dogmatic followers, they never think twice about like, why is Jesus' dad and the guy that puts him in the tomb, the guy who helps him be born and the guy who buries him are the same name. Oh, mm -hmm. just must have been a lot of mofos named Joseph. Or Joseph <laughs> a whole lot then. of them, yeah. Wow. That's a great example to kind of introduce. All just encoded uh, in one word. Yeah. One the, star. These uh, And there's more than that in just yeah. that one star. So the encoding you could get entire this. scriptures and huge litanies of, you know, extensive texts out right. of this system of like pulling uh, stories out of the astrologos. But, you know, to really round off the thought here about it, 
that I find fascinating to go back to this being a technology mm-hmm. and how technologies replace innate abilities is how it's fascinating that as light pollution has increased and our ability to see the stars at night has decreased, literacy rates have gone up, which in my opinion, it may not be scientific or whatever, but to me that demonstrates a correlation between the use of written language and the diminishing of our ability to access through the technology of our consciousness, the message of the as above. Mm. Does that make sense? Light pollution up, literacy rates up, uh, visibility of stars down. It's like a perfect correlation because now you can barely see a damn star and almost 100% of people are illiterate. Mm. To me, there's a, there's a there there, but you know, that's a lot of sense. Yeah. There's more to dig on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of cool too. Uh, for Thanksgiving, I got to, I went to uh, Marfa, Texas on my way to the uh, big, the big Bend National Park, which that area is considered to be the darkest sky of the entire country. And that was really fun because I literally had never seen the full Milky Way before. Like I've seen pictures of it, but yeah, that was uh, shocking. It's, and I use that particular word shocking because it sort of like electrocuted me in some way. Like I was finally seeing beneath a veil or like behind some kind of veil that I was always hidden. And, you know, here in Dallas, it's light pollution is horrible, but you know, it's interesting that our correlation between written tech and, you know, the, the sky, the sky clocks tech is, uh, you know, that's, I've never thought about that before. It's really cool that you bring that up. And I wanted to ask you in relation to the same topic and, um, you know, we're now entering the season of Aquarius, the sun, um, is in Aquarius for the next uh, month or so. And I was curious if you had a, a thought, an insight, maybe an instinct, you know, what comes up for you when you consider this new solar cycle that we're entering now? Like uh, just the sun in Aquarius, what that feels like? Yeah, what it feels like to you. It's interesting to always ask people because Aquarius is a very interesting sign to me. And, uh, you know, just because we're right, we're right at the beginning here um, of this uh, this solar cycle. So I'm curious if you have any insights or anything that pops in, um, synchromistically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, as great of a question as that is, I might not have a super satisfying or heady answer for you. I'm fascinated by astrology as a sort of predictive element. Hmm. You know, I talk to astrologers on my show all the time and I get, I like to get their thoughts on these type of things. But for me personally, I, you know, I have phases of paying attention and more and paying attention less. Right. But overall, I kind of just, you know, I just flow with the inner feeling of how things are and what I feel like doing. And uh, so with this a t- current, you know, solar period of sun in Aquarius, tropically speaking, and then there's a whole side yeah, tangent of like, well, but yeah. we're not even in, <laughs> we're maybe not even in Aquarius, right. uh, depending on if you're tropical or sidereal. Mm-hmm. Although I like tropical because it's based on the earth mm-hmm. rather than on the sky, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's like earth-centric. Yeah. Earth, yeah, geocentric, which is how I roll on all ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that when the new moon hit for Aquarius, uh, that felt more like entering something new. Again, we talked about the Lunar New Year, then the sun hitting Aquarius, which yeah, hasn't even, has it even yet? What day of the month is it? We're on the 21st of January here. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, sun was in Aquarius if the new moon hit, like maybe like right now. And anyway, 
about the time it started approaching or the moon got towards Aquarius, I was definitely feeling like the, uh, some freedom mm. regarding my ability to begin to do types of creative work with my own writing that I oh, wasn't nice. feel like that, you know, the pressure had been building up and building up. Like there's this huge pressure of like, I've, I've got all these observations. I've got all this data and all this knowledge I've observed, but if I'm ever going to shape something out of it or be able to communicate it effectively, or even recall the things that I once knew because I'm combing over so many fine details. I mm. mean, when you're studying astrotheology, it is an endless, endless deluge of details, tiny little details that make up a big picture. Like when I talk about, when I just casually in a conversation throw out there how Jesus is Mercury, is Buddha, is Odin, is Hercules, is Bacchus, is Krishna, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that doesn't give people a window into the millions of myriad elements of similarity mm. between those characters. Like the fact that Krishna was said to have been taken away and raised in a town that has the same name as the place in Egypt where Jesus was said to have been taken away and mm -hmm. raised as a child, both to escape a like maniac, maniacal king who wanted to slay them. King Herod, in Jesus's case, who Herod, in my opinion, is the Hydra constellation. Interestingly, you can even anagram the word Herod out of Hydra if you're you know, a little lenient with your vowels. Sure. But being lenient with vowels is totally allowed in philology. Especially in Hebrew. Especially in yeah, languages like Hebrew where they had no vowel points to begin with. But mm. I use the example all the time just that two regions of the country will say their vowels differently or might even throw fucking con. Uh, part of my French consonants in there, <laughs> like, you know, think about how the people in the in New Eng England country or uh, states might say words with a in it, it just yep. becomes R. or I saw a hilarious video of an Italian guy. Uh, <laughs> okay, Italian guy and his girlfriend and she's like, recording him. She's like, say it again. And he holds up his bottle, his water bottle. And he's like, my butthole is leaking. My butthole. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. She's yeah. like, you're saying bottle, right? And he's like, butthole. <laughs> so classic, you know, or like the way the Southern drawl might pronounce mm -hmm. a, a vowel sounds differently, but consonants stay somewhat the same, but there is also interchangeability between them. My point in all that being to circle back around to the question about Aquarius is that I definitely felt some, which Aquarius has to do with like liberation and, and uh, freedom. Yeah, yeah. You know, the larger question of the age of Aquarius <laughs> yeah, is right. fascinating too, but that I definitely felt a, a, a bit of um, like the bottle ha had been uncorked of some pressure buildup of mm -hmm. my need to like organize and codify my own thoughts and observations into a system that I could refer to again later so that I don't lose track of the things that I know and so that I can bring observations and information together in a weave and tapestry that if I just kept reading without also taking notes and without also yeah. do, making the effort to write that they wouldn't, uh, that they would just get lost, you know, grains of sand through the hourglass. And at that point it's like uh, almost masturbatory to just go over all of this information as I have been doing without any sort of purpose behind it. And I'm finding a re re 
passion, like, a I don't know, reigniting of the passion of purpose in the sense that, yeah, I'm really happy with what I've achieved in my life so far that I'm able to be a full-time podcaster, that I'm able to do the energy work for people. But those two sides of my life are almost like hitting a stride where there, I mean, there's development in it. Mm -hmm. I, I learn new things and in, in tuning people all the time about how the biofield works. And I continue making great connections with people and learning things from them in the podcast work. But in terms of like putting effort on a regular basis towards a long-term goal, I'm feeling finally quite free and liberated to do that with my own writing. What about it sees, you know, the light of day for the rest of the world, who knows, or if it cool coalesces into a book someday that people can access, that'd be great. But in terms of just as an exercise where I organize my own thoughts, it's been mm -hmm. really helpful. And just, to, you know, I've always wanted to do it. I was a creative writing major. So nice. I've always thought that writing should be more important in my life. And I do creatively write my words as I speak them out loud, but mm -hmm. to uh, be actually putting pen to paper in a notebook in a more organized fashion feels great. And in doing so, I'm immediately reaping the benefits of having original ideas mm -hmm. come to me rapidly and profoundly. Like, you know, what I just laid out about the technology of astrotheology possibly being an indicator to us of a previous time where our capacity to interconnect all human knowledge and knowledge of nature in an internet like form was coming through our observation of the as above the great remembering <laughs> that was a pretty great remembering and yeah uh, yeah uh, writing has helped with that so very interesting that's why i really am seeing this concept of the technology of language and technology at large as a type of mirroring or mm. you know mothering because mira the mary the mother of all the different solar deities that interesting who are called the logos of the word <laughs> mm -hmm. it's almost like somebody or something new that as we progress in technology we begin to hold a mirror up to ourselves of what we are who we are what our potentials are and the bigger picture of life the universe and everything and i'm super excited to be mirroring that from just you know between me and me and that it's going it's going nicely and i, I feel the momentum building that uh, it'll continue and we'll see how that uh, helps my development, you know, going forward. But to me, I did think maybe there was something to the uh, Aquarius vibe yeah. that was oncoming that sort of popped the lid off the bottle as a metaphor for the water bearer yeah. holding that jug and pouring out all that liquid memory mem being the hebrew word for water <laughs> yeah oh that brings me right back to austin veda your recent episode i was just listening so but veda dude, austin yeah that it is was funny that i had yeah. veda austin the water researcher on and followed her with austin walters basically oh, okay. waters <laughs> talk yeah, about yeah. magnetism <laughs> yeah the walters yeah well that's amazing dude i'm happy for you it's cool that there's like a renewal in your uh creativity it's taking a different form and Something that Dylan Sakoshio said on your stream the other night was that, you know, if you write down what you've been learning every day, eventually you're going to have enough for a book or two books or eight books. You know, it's uh, really cool. And whether or not you publish it, you know, that's all uh, within your control. But it's uh, fascinating that you've began doing this. And I'm happy to hear that. And I'm inspired to do it myself. And um, as a segue, Dylan, as we kinda, let me yeah, just say, yeah, sure. 
Dylan Satoshio, <laughs> author of the Spirit World series, who I've also been producing audiobooks for. Right. He, he is a mentor in the way that Eileen Day McCusick has been a mentor for mm. me. In the sense that we're, you know, on the more honest level, we're good friends rather than like some sort of official role of teacher and student or, or whatever. But, yeah. you know, I've realized that what a mentor, for, at least for me, is, is somebody that I can look at what they're doing and learn from watching them do it. And they don't have to go out of their way to teach me anything at all, but that I can start to incorporate some of their style of how they go about a particular process and make it my own. And so in the same way that reading Eileen's books and uh, listening to some of her podcasts and picking it up and trying the forks out for myself led me to a proficiency. I do think that Dylan's work and in particular, the opportunity to do the audiobooks for him really helped me see his process, his methodology, and just open the windows in my mind to like, well, if I was going to start writing, how would I do it? Hmm. And exactly like you just said, he said that in the uh, live chat of a vibrant last week, that if you just write down the things that you learn, mm -hmm. uh, event while you're reading, eventually you could make a book out of it. And that is kind of, you know, I'll add that instead, not just writing down, but get the physical copy of the book and start, you know, put in highlights and, and whatever in it, like, <laughs> you see here, I'm just nice. like, yeah, yeah. Of highlights and right. uh, make no, maybe make notes of page numbers of things. Like right here, this is something I got to talk about more someday. You know, I'm looking at a highlighted uh, sentence in this book, Anacalypsis by Godfrey Higgins. The cycles were like men and died of old age. Hmm. That's referring to the cycles of the, the larger cycles of time and how a lot of mythological heroes and gods are symbolic of time cycles that were pretended to be accurate by the... Hmm always wrong priest class, but anyway, you know, I'll, I'll never there, maybe lose track of the idea that I want to write more about that or explore that concept more deeply. Cause I made a highlight in the book and I can always flip through and find my highlights mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to say all that and shout out to Dylan, who's been an awesome friend to me and a really great researcher and uh, was happy to see that you picked up a God's acre for winds of the soul. Yeah, man. Thank that. you for the recommendation. I've been enjoying it. And, you know, when you brought up uh, Miri and the maternal energy of this universe, uh, I, I'm happy that I can start to put those pieces together, those uh, bits of our language and syntax that um, connect those dots cross-culturally. And, uh, you know, as we kind of wrap up, it's been a while. It's been uh, flying by temporally for this conversation because we've covered so much ground and I'm happy that we got to dive into your um sound consultation if you want to call it that now and uh you i know, like that astrotheology and uh your work with dylan and, and his audiobooks um just want to ask you um what's coming up for your uh podcast interverse uh anything in particular you want to share any uh reflections on 2022 you know what what do you want to leave our audience with today chance <laughs> Well, what's coming up with Interverse is I need to get a fire under my ass to schedule some more shows. <laughs> I'm a little light on uh, my calendar right now. Uh, so, you know, if anybody wants to do some charitable work for free of helping me schedule shows. <laughs> Sign me up, please. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's, what's good about 
interverse is that we're exploring all these ideas together and that we have a larger community of people that are on the team, like especially mm-hmm. in the vibrant sense, I have many different regulars that I could hit up. And so I have a special guest for the live stream on Wednesday night. And nice. then maybe, you know, we're talking about something on the more spiritual woo side. So I hit up Gordy oh, cool. for that, or maybe we're talking, I mean, Slick Dissident, he's always there. Somehow mm-hmm. he manages to be part of like everybody's yeah. streams regularly. The dude is a powerhouse of positive witness and absolutely praise and thanks to i was just talking to uh gabriel yesterday actually (laughs) yeah i'm sure that's gonna be a banger dude is fun yeah um he totally embodies the leo fun Mm -hmm. you know even though he claimed on his talk with topher uh, at biocharisma the other day that he is a sidereal cancer and i'm like dude you are so leo it's ridiculous <laughs> fuck off with your idea of cancer are you really <laughs> hey, i'm just kidding but i i'm a more of a tropical guy and i just like to give Topher shit because yeah, he's so yeah. so mm-hmm. into sidereal but yeah um we have all these great regulars that i can bring on for the live streams whenever they fit into the subject matter shout out mario garza of symbolic studies yeah. Kyle Denton of Typical New Herbs, mm-hmm. Michelle Lundquist of Michelle's Healing Home, and so many, so many more. If I didn't say your name, it doesn't mean I don't love you. I do, but there's just a great community. And we really congregate around Telegram mm-hmm. in the Interverse Telegram group chat and uh, other ones like Weaving Spiders Webs. And, yeah, what's up, spiders? Yeah, what's up, spiders? So I would start your show earlier and i'll hang out on it more often <laughs> i've been kind <laughs> yeah, of i can't not, stay awake too long yeah it's tough for me lately <laughs> yeah. but um and then with you know reflecting on 2022 which maybe i haven't done as much as i haven't really done i'm kind of a very forward oriented thinker mm. um and by kind of i mean very like i i just don't hold a lot of conscious memory of the past yeah, <laughs> of my own for the story best. my own past yeah but there are some great highlights on the uh, 2022 playlist, like Matt Powers, the permaculture, uh, unstoppable enthusiasm, mm. citizen scientist, or John Monroe, the Qigong teacher who I learned from. Nice. Phenomenal. Or a conversation I had with Benjamin Balderson about laboratory alchemy that will really make the alchemical process click for you about mm. like how that expresses in nature. Um, some just good stuff. Since going forward, I have kind of got some ambition to do more solo content. Nice. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm definitely not trying to announce an announcement, but you know, maybe, maybe I'll see more episodes where it's me bringing my own personal research forward, but right on, right on. a lot of that just gets caught uh, in guest spots where I'm a guest on someone else's show. So if you like the way that I prattle on incessantly about this and that, then hit me up and I'll come on your show too, uh, people out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hit him up, hit him up. Uh, and I want to say thanks for yeah. having me on here. Oh, you, of course, man. You've, uh, you know, you've been a great friend since you came into the community as well and a super helpful supporter that actually shares the content around in a way where you're trying to draw people to it, which I appreciate. That's like, that puts you in the top upper echelon of the 1% of the 1% of listeners who actually <laughs> will do, do me a solid and like try to get other people to check it out. Cause that's the only way that this good stuff spreads. And so mm-hmm. people out there listening to Jake do him the same solid and post it to your 
telegram group chats or you know i would say social media is pretty much worthless but <laughs> tell you know what i actually i used to say all the time is like i f- fuck a link tell somebody that you're friends with personally mm. tell them about the show and why you like it not just send them a link you know and I like then that yeah i think that goes a lot further one-to-one connection where you just tell one person that you think mm. would like it about it that's more that one person showing up is a lot more valuable than a, a mass reach scatter shot attempt to post a link to as many people as possible so anyway you're doing great you know keep your momentum up and don't sweat it if it, if you uh feel less productive for a time and mm-hmm. want to focus on other areas don't beat yourself up with guilt like we talked about and you know keep exactly. that hip strong and um i'll come back anytime and we'll have to well I'll definitely have to do it again buddy Absolutely, my friend. I appreciate you. This has been awesome. And I'm looking forward to what's to come in 2023 and this lunar new year and everything and anything beyond. And I appreciate you, brother. Hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks, dude. Talk to you later. Peace.